Hi, I'm Jessie, your host of the Jessie Williams podcast. I'm a personal trainer and women's online health coach, bringing you all things health, wellness, money, mindset, and just life in general. If you want to learn, laugh, and up-level your life, this is a podcast for you. Each episode, we'll talk habits, tips, tricks, and big ideas to nourish your mind and inspire you to create your dream life by design. Let's dive in. Hey, Lauren, welcome to the podcast. How are you going? I'm good, Jesse. How are you going? I'm great. I thought we would actually kick today off um, with something a little bit fun just to um, break the ice, but... For anyone tuning in, um, Lauren is a Chinese medicine doctor and a lot of what she does is to do with like reproductive health, um, periods and fertility and things like that. She's amazing. I'll get her to talk about what she does soon. But I thought a fun way to start would be for me to explain to you how I'm feeling at the moment and what kind of symptoms I'm having and for you to guess where I am in my cycle. Oh, I love that. Okay, yeah. great. Cool. So um, the last kind of like um, week, I've just been feeling a little bit withdrawn, um, a little bit tired, a little bit more sensitive um, and just kind of like really nesting at home and stuff like that, which I have to anyway. Um, but I've woken up this morning and I'm feeling like I'm slowly getting my energy back and I'm feeling a little bit more open at the moment. Where do you think I am? So I'm guessing you've just finished your period and you're coming into ovulation soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, what a fun way. Um, so do you want to actually give everyone a little bit of um, background context into what you do, what kind of like your area of expertise is and th- things like that? Yeah, so I am, as Jessie said, I'm a Chinese medicine practitioner. So that means that I'm an acupuncturist and a herbalist. And my big focus in my clinical practice is focusing on helping women with anything to do with women's health. So that can be anything to do with menstrual cycles, periods, and then also fertility. So that's my really big passion. And that is what I focus on. Yes. And how I actually came into contact with Lauren for everyone listening is I started doing a little bit of research about the contraceptive pill and I kind of wanted to come off, but just based on what I've read about being on it for a long time and then coming off, some people have a little bit of like trouble with like, you know, acne breakouts and things like that. So I actually um, sought out some help from Lauren um, just to get some advice on if I could come off straight away or how to come off and things like that. So she guided me and then I've probably been seeing you for like a year and nearly a year and a half now. I reckon, yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah, I just have never really stopped. Um, I just, (laughs) (laughs) I'm addicted. I feel like it definitely, um, really, really, acupuncture, I definitely feel like has helped my cycle a lot. So I thought I would kick off with, um, what you feel are the most common problems that you see women, like when women come to see you in clinic, what are some of the really common issues you see with people's periods? Um, and I guess to go with that, some of the common causes which can create those problems, would you say? Mm, so I see a lot. So probably the most common things I see is women wanting to regulate their cycles. So this could be if they have PCOS or they could have other causative factors that are causing their cycles to change in length and that can be either too short or too long. Most commonly I see cycles that are on the longer side though Um, and then period pain is really really common that I see which I actually love treating because I find it very easy to treat because usually if we're not dealing with something like endo or something that's more progressed 
if it's just like your run-of-the-mill period pain, it's usually pretty easy to get a handle on. So I love treating that. Um, and then mood changes with your cycle is another one that I see a lot in clinics. So women experiencing anxiety or even depression before their period, um, things like PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is actually really common. I see that a lot as well. Um, and then a lot of fertility too. So a lot of women trying to conceive either naturally or through things like IVF. Um, and then in terms of causes, there is a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, there is common things though. So I see a lot of stress as being almost like a root cause for a lot of women. And if I see that as like a root cause, that can manifest in different ways. So someone being really stressed could mean that they're not eating at regular times and that can progress to having a dysregulation in their blood sugar levels. So something like stress can ripple out to a lot of different areas and that could equal to overworking, not getting enough time in your parasympathetic and in our parasympathetic nervous system, that's when all of our hormones actually get regulated. Um, and then lots of stress can cause inflammation as well. And then inflammation is always at the root of period pain and other types of hormonal imbalances as well. So that's just kind of a way in which stress like something that's so common and quite um yeah i guess super common and seems kind of simple can have a really big ripple effect into all of these different issues with our periods yeah that's crazy and i i can totally agree because um i know so many times myself and other women who have had good cycles and then bad cycles and just having no idea what the link is and then obviously from working with you i could come into clinic and be like i had a really bad cycle i was really stressed or i I didn't eat how i normally ate or you know i was exercising way too much or nowhere near enough and things like that and then versus having a month where i had a really great cycle and there was like not a lot of pain and I had been way more calm and actually ate better and things like that so you can literally see and I think it was you who once upon a time said that um your menstrual cycle is almost like a little postcard from your body of what you've done the month before which oh yeah yeah which it's almost like saying like hey this is where you've been and this is what you've done and this is how you've been feeling and it's almost like giving you this little um almost like recapping your month yeah Oh my gosh, absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about our cycles and our periods is because you can see straight away, even just with diet and lifestyle, even if you're not actually working on your cycle, you can just see if how you're living your life is actually working for your body because there's so many different things we can do with different diets and like different lifestyle practices and sometimes specific things can be really good for one person and they're just not the right thing for someone else. And if you're curious if what you're doing is working for you or not, just look at your period, look at your cycle, look if you get any symptoms, look at the regularity, like all of that will tell you if your body is humming along nicely and if all the things that you're doing in your life is actually supporting your health. Because if it is, then you'll have a great period. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's so true because we're all so different as humans and like how we manage stress or you know everything's entirely different so we can't expect to just all have the same thing and our bodies to respond in the same way so exactly as you said like is what I'm doing working looking at your period and I never ever 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 would have made that link myself Um, and I think there's so many other women out there that would have no idea that their cycle is almost like showing what the month 
or before has been like and what their lifestyle is like. They just don't even make that connection. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think that's like the biggest thing really is all about that education piece, which is what I'm like trying to focus on now is getting more education out there for women because we don't make that link most of the time. Most of the time we are given that story of periods suck, periods will turn you into a bitch every month, you should expect to get pain. Like these are the kind of messages that we get. So like growing up, like when we get our first period, sometimes we're not even told what it is and we think that we're like injured when we get our first period, which is a story I hear a lot from a lot of women. Um, But, yeah, we just kind of are taught to expect to have issues with our periods. Mm. So when we do experience symptoms, we're just like, oh, great, that's just what it's like having a period. Like we're not given the message that we can actually expect more from our cycle. And that it can actually be great. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when symptoms come up, we're just like, oh, yeah, like it's not related to anything in terms of like how my hormones are balanced or not or like how I'm living my life. It's just something that's separated from our bodies and we just can't expect any more or even an improvement. And it's like, no, no, not at all. Like it's a direct reflection of our overall health. Yeah, so, But that's a really big thing. Women just don't know that there is that connection. Yeah, I, I totally agree in it that it is a huge lack of education, which is why I'm so excited to have you on because I know so many things you talk about. I'm like, oh my gosh, that was me, even to the point that when I used to get moodier or something like, like really moody, I'd be like, my period's coming. And it's almost like the symptoms were the sign of my period as opposed to like my period being the first thing that came it's almost like yeah this is just okay my period must be coming because I'm moody and being moody is part of having a period like you don't know that some just because and this is the biggest thing just because symptoms are common doesn't mean they're normal right so and I think because there's so much lack of education so many unnormal symptoms are now common so what would you say are maybe even two to three of the biggest symptoms that you see that women don't realize aren't normal or don't have to be normal in relation to their cycle? Totally. I would say any symptom, like uh, probably the most common one is pain and mood changes. And something that's really common is digestive changes around your period. So a lot of women will get the period poos. So they'll get like diarrhea with their period and just think, oh yeah, that's just what happens when I get my period? And it's like, no, like Mm. actually we're not supposed to get diarrhea with our period, although that is actually really common. That's a sign of a lot of inflammation in the system. But to answer your question, any symptoms. So ideally we're not going to get any symptoms at all with our period that are affecting our life and impacting how we can live day to day. So I don't deem any symptom or sign that comes up with the period that's disruptive to be normal so whether that's headaches breast tenderness like migraines mood changes pain bloating skin breakouts like all of that kind of stuff or changes in energy um that is like impacting your life I don't see any of those as being normal I love that answer because I reckon anyone listening right now you've probably just blown their minds (laughs) because I reckon 99% of females think that symptoms are normal part of having a period which is crazy. So I guess in saying that, what would you say are some of the um, top things that we have control over or ways that we can create a better period or have a better cycle and kind of prevent those symptoms, I guess? 
This is the part that I love because there's actually so many things that affect our hormones and affect the way our bodies work and affect our experience of our period. And sometimes that can seem overwhelming to some people because they're like, oh my God, all of these different things can actually impact my cycle. And it can seem overwhelming, but I actually see it as, oh my God, there's so many things that we actually have a say over. Like this isn't a genetic thing that we have no control over, even though we do have the control over genetic stuff. Um, There's so many things within very reasonable range that we can actually have an influence over. And the biggest one I would think is definitely diet. So anything that we are putting into our bodies is going to have an impact on our hormones because it has an impact on our blood sugar levels. This is where we're getting our nutrients from. And we need a lot of nutrients to actually have a healthy cycle because it's a really energy dense process to ovulate and make the right amounts of hormones every single month. And if we think in terms of like the hierarchy of our body systems, we don't actually need our reproductive system to live. So if there's other things going on in our bodies that need more attention and need more nutrients, our body will just divert that there first. So we need to make sure that we're getting enough nutrition in so that all of our systems are happy so that we have that excess energy to be sent to our ovaries and our reproductive system. So that can be flowing along nicely as well. So diet's a really, really big one. And also from the perspective of inflammation, because inflammation is typically at the root of many different hormonal imbalances that can show up with our periods. And we can really have a huge impact over the levels of inflammation in our body through our diet. So diet's a really big one. And then I'd also want to mention things like sleep, stress levels, and then what we're putting on our skin as well. So all of our body products, what we use at home, like cleaning supplies, even our pads and tampons, like making sure that that's organic because anything like anything that we put into our bodies with our food anything that we put on our skin is also absorbed into our body and also has the same potential to have an impact on our hormones. So this is a big issue because a lot of synthetic chemicals that are in like generic products have the potential to impact the way our endocrine system functions. And they also have that impact to mimic estrogen in the body. And if we're getting these excessive amounts of chemicals that act like estrogen in our body, then that can create hormonal imbalances as well. So we need to be aware of what we're putting on our skin. So this is like shampoos, conditioners, deodorant, makeup, like if you use moisturizers or anything like that, like just looking at that and being like, okay, uh, am I getting an excessive amount of synthetic chemicals absorbing into my bloodstream? Could this be having an impact on my hormones? And if you think the answer might be yes, then you can slowly start transitioning to more plant-based products, more organic products that don't have those synthetic chemicals in them that will have that endocrine mimicking or disrupting impact. And it doesn't have to be like a throw everything out, buy everything new because that's wasteful and expensive, but it can be simple. Like when you run out of something, be like, okay, maybe I'll replace it with something else that will support my hormones. I think that's a really big one for a lot of women because we may not think of it as like one single use is going to dramatically impact our hormones, but it's that chronic long-term exposure to all of these chemicals. If we think, okay, maybe we started using this kind of stuff or from babies, if we're thinking about cleaning products and um, bath, bubble bath and all that kind of stuff. But um, probably like when we're teenagers and we start using more products as women, 
we can think, okay, we're getting exposure to these chemicals pretty much every single day for decades. So what is that doing to our hormones? Because it's not just that once-off exposure typically, it's that chronic low-dose exposure to these chemicals that has that impact on our systems. Yes, that's amazing. And that just showed exactly, as you said, the perspective that it's not like, it actually shows us how much control we do have. And I think it's really important that you said it's not just like throw all your products out. It's like baby steps. And so many people, when they want to make these changes and they want to have um, a healthier period or a healthier lifestyle, they get so overwhelmed by everything or thinking they have to cut everything out or go cold turkey. And I can vouch for, it was absolutely a process for me. I know when I saw you, I made small changes. So one of the ones was I reduced my caffeine intake. I added more you know, green veggies in, I started having more seeds and healthy fats and things like that. Um, And then I know the first product I changed was my moisturizer. I got a natural moisturizer and then I started getting natural makeup. And then down the track, I got um, natural laundry liquid. And it wasn't, I didn't just go and do this massive shop. It was just exactly as you said, when something needed replacing, um, I would replace it. So I can literally remember the first product I replaced was my moisturizer. So knowing that you don't have to just change everything overnight exactly as you said it can be a process and just slowly making all these transitions to healthier and you just absolutely as I can vouch for see your period get better and better and better every time Um, because I know I had a shorter cycle and then we saw my my cycle get longer and more to a um, normal normal kind of cycle so what would you say um, because I actually one thing I want to probably touch on before we continue because this is what I blew my mind when I saw you and when I speak about it most so many women don't know and it blew my mind that I didn't know was that getting a period on the pill wasn't a real period that yeah. blew my mind so do you want to explain <laughs> to us why that is yeah I think you'll be better explaining that oh my gosh totally I think no one knows this when we go on the pill like no no one talks about no. this at all so basically Um, we can approach it from this way. So when we have a natural menstrual cycle, it means that we're having different phases and we're ovulating. So in a natural menstrual cycle, we have our period and then we enter our follicular phase, which is when we're growing little follicles on our ovaries, we're producing our own estrogen, and then we'll eventually ovulate and then we will start producing progesterone and then we're in our luteal phase And then two weeks later, we'll get our period. That's a very like simplified, brief version of just an overview of what the menstrual cycle is like. And it always means like when we get a natural period, it's the result of ovulation, which is meaning that we're producing both estrogen and progesterone in enough quantities to have ovulated and gotten a period. Whereas on the pill, we are getting a withdrawal bleed from the hormones that are in the pills. And it doesn't mean that we've ovulated. So the actual function of the pill is to shut down the connection between the brain and the ovaries that causes ovulation. And that's one of the ways that it is a contraceptive because it's getting us to stop ovulating so that we can't fall pregnant. But we're still getting a bleed. So what's going on there? But basically, when we take the pill and we're taking the active tablets, we're getting a consistent dose of the same amount of synthetic hormones every day. And then when we stop and take the sugar tablets, it's purely just a chemical reaction that the uterine lining sheds, and then we get a pill bleed. So the big difference is is that a pill bleed and then a period 
are really different because a pill bleed doesn't tell us a lot about what's going on internally in our bodies. Whereas our normal periods, like that's the result of a menstrual cycle, tells us so much about our health because the timing of our period tells us a lot about our health. Do we get it every 28 days or is it more every 40 days or every few months? That tells us heaps about our overall health. And also what the pain's like. Are we getting skin breakouts? Are we getting mood changes? Like anything to do with our period tells us so much about what is going on internally in our bodies. And it's like these little warning flags that come up that give us a little invitation to be like, oh, something's not quite right internally. Let's work on it. Whereas a pill bleed will be the exact same thing every time you take the sugar pills. So you could take the sugar pills every single month and just have a withdrawal bleed, or you could take the sugar pills once every six months. And it's not actually telling us anything about the underlying workings of your body because the, the bleed is just happening when we take those sugar pills and when we have the withdrawal bleed. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. And you explain that a thousand times better than what I ever could have. And I'm so glad I asked you that question. And the thing that blows my mind is I think it's so important that women have that education because I know myself, friends and clients who have all um, maybe gone off the pill. I remember going off the pill because I wanted a little break for a while. Um, And, you know, one of the things I got a little bit of pain and I went to the doctor and I'm like, I'm having really painful periods. And the answer was go go back on the pill. And I had friends who um, came off the pill and didn't get their period. And the answer was go back on the pill. But going back on the pill, you're not, you're still not getting a period. So why is that the answer that we're given? It's mind blowing that we don't have this information. And I think it's really important that women do have it so that they can be educated and and make up their own minds. Um, I have like a thousand questions I want to ask you, but I might, (laughs) might jump into, um, some of the questions that I got from people. I put up a question poll on Instagram to ask you some questions. And I feel like some of them might fall in alignment with mine. Um, so let's go. I I don't want to, it's going to be so hard to pick and choose. We're not going to get through all of them, but I'll just pick a couple. So first one someone asked is, does being on contraception long-term affect your ability to have children? So this is a really controversial question because in the, like the, the consent consensus in Western medicine is no simply because there hasn't been a study that's really focused on that, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. There hasn't been that full study to be like, yes or no, the pill affects your fertility. But if we use our logic, we can think, okay, and everyone is so individualised as well, and I'm going to be talking from my clinical experience working with women and what my experience has been like with seeing different women's stories and experiences But we can see, okay, if we're taking a medication that shuts down our reproductive system, we can, it's pretty reasonable to expect that it could actually impact the functioning of that system when we stop taking it. And the way that I see this really commonly is when women stop the pill, that their ovulation may not resume instantly. So I see this all the time in clinic, women stop the pill and they were like, okay, next month, let's try to conceive. Let's try to have a baby. But what if their ovulation doesn't resume until six months after they stopped the pill or even a year after they stopped the pill? Because that is actually really, really common. And if you go into that whole journey thinking, okay, we're just going to stop the pill, 
start trying to fall pregnant straight away and you don't actually have that knowledge of being like, okay, this might actually take some time just to get the cycle regulated again. That could completely throw your plans. Your plans may be pushed out a whole year, which is really significant if you're ready to start right now. And it's purely because it's taking a while for that whole system to get back into balance. But other, so in my perspective, that's affecting fertility. Yeah. And the other part of it as well is because if you were on the pill and you were getting that regular bleed every time you took the sugar tablets, if there was anything underlying going on over the years that wasn't addressed, it misses that opportunity to actually address any imbalances then. So sometimes women can actually have PCOS and not know it because they were on the pill and they are getting that regular bleed because typically one of the most common symptoms with PCOS is that you'll start getting those longer cycles. And that's usually a sign that women are like, oh, something's up with my period. Let's get this investigated. But if you're on the pill and you're having a regular withdrawal bleed, you're not really alerted to the fact that you may have something like PCOS going on behind the scenes. So then when you stop the pill, you may actually discover, which is very common, that you've had PCOS and it's gone undiagnosed because the symptoms that would have alerted you to that fact previously were masked. So then you may go into the stage of being like, okay, well, I have PCOS. And typically, it depends who you see in terms of GPs, but they may direct you down fertility management options. And to me, that's showing that there's an impact on your fertility. Yes. So there's that point of view. And then there's also the perspective of the fact that the pill thins the uterine lining as one of its mechanisms of contraception. So that's one of its other ways of preventing conception is that the lining is too thin so that if on the off chance an embryo did get fertilized, it wouldn't be able to implant. So that's just what the pill does. But when we come off the pill, depending on how long you've been on it for, I've seen many times some women, it takes a while for that lining to actually re-thicken and regrow to optimal thickness that's conducive to fertility and to implantation. So in my perspective, that's having an impact on fertility. Whereas for some women, the lining will regrow and it's perfect thickness and there's absolutely no issues at all. But that's not the case for every woman. And I think it's really tricky because it's really not a one-size-fits-all approach because there has been so many women that have taken the pill long-term and have stopped and have had absolutely no issues with their fertility. They've gone on to fall pregnant and have children and it really be a non-event, a non-issue at all. But then there also is equally many women where they have taken the pill long-term, come off and have had to work through this process of getting their cycle back into an, opt an optimal condition for fertility. So I think it's tricky because it really isn't a one-size-fits-all and women will only really know the impact it's had on their fertility once they come off and once they actually start trying, which I think is tricky because you can't really plan for that unless you do give yourself that really nice window after you stop the pill, if you're wanting to fall pregnant, giving yourself like that one year to fully reestablish your cycles and let your body start producing those hormones in the right quantities again. Because one of the most important hormones for fertility is progesterone. And that's what holds the uterine lining in place and nourishes a growing baby in those early stages. But what if we haven't made that hormone for like 15 years? It takes practice to make these hormones in the right amounts. And for some women, it can take a few cycles to be making the optimal amount of that 
hormone. So everyone is very individualized. Yeah, it's almost like you can imagine if you haven't done it for 15 years, your brain almost hasn't been using those neural connections or had to do that. So it's like forgotten. It's like having a memory that you don't remember for so long. The memory almost disappears. It's like it hasn't been used, which is crazy. And I can vouch for because I know when I decided to come off the pill, when I was first learning about all of this information, I started seeing you and I was really transparent with um, my audience about what I was doing. And I was blown away. Um, I was like, I opened up about having been really happy. I got my first cycle straight away, which I am incredibly grateful for, especially now that I know what I know. Um, And I got every cycle. I haven't missed a single cycle for a year and a half now. I've just had them a little bit short or a little bit more painful and things like that, just depending. But the amount of messages I receive from women saying, oh, don't get too excited. If you get one or two, I got one or two and then didn't have one for two years, a year and a half. Um, I came off to have children and it took me, you know, nine months or all of this kind of stuff. And I was like, wow. And I I didn't obviously come off um, to have kids. I was like, how do I not have babies if I'm not on it? And that's why I came and saw you. But so many women who came off for that reason and they couldn't fall pregnant and that like really broke my heart that so many women don't know so I think it is really important as you said in western medicine there is no evidence because there's no research but it's like exactly as you said common sense all of this information Mm. you kind of kind of want to make up your own mind right totally and I also want to mention there's also the aspect of how many cycles you had before you started the pill Mm. because I've seen some women that started taking the pill before they even got their first period and it was due to their skin that they were just going on the pill to help their skin so I'm like what happens to these women that maybe even never had their first period or only had one or two which is super common and then went on the pill and say they were on it for 10 years and then they come off and they're expecting their body to do this really intricate hormonal dance and this really intricate rhythm from the get-go when they may have only actually done it one or two times or sometimes even not at all in the first place. Yeah. Whereas I see, which is a huge ask on the body, by the way, Mm. because it does take 10 to 12 years for the menstrual cycle to actually fully mature. So if we're pausing that process really, really early in the game, it can just potentially impact how we transition off the pill. Whereas for some women, they may have had like five years of their natural cycles and then started the pill. So their experience coming off is probably going to be different to a woman that maybe only had one natural cycle and one ovulation compared to a woman that may have had like five years worth. You see, it's all very, it's all very individualized depending on all of these different factors. Yeah. And I think knowing that is going to give so many women listening um, who might be in that boat a little bit more love and kindness towards themselves for what they're expecting of their body and feeling as though, you know, why isn't this working? Why is this happening? Or why is my cycle like this of being like, okay, it's not, it's not you or something wrong with your body. It's just being patient because this is what's happened sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a process totally. And a lot of the time, just like you said, it's not something that we're doing wrong. Mm. It's purely just that process is needing to reestablish and the brain and the ovaries need to get those highways of communication solidified either again or for the first time ever. And, you know, traditionally we go through puberty and that whole process takes years. So if we kind of paused it, 
we can, it's reasonable to expect that there could be some little, you know, um, uh, some delays yeah. <laughs> to get yeah. perfect again. And yeah, we can be super like gentle with ourselves and forgiving and being like, okay, this is a process. We don't need to put pressure on ourselves. We just need to let our bodies do their thing and obviously support our body how we can. But it's often a matter of time. Like time is the biggest factor as well because we're on that cycle. Like we're waiting for everything to happen with that cycle and getting to ovulation and getting to that next period. Like we're very much uh, working with our body's rhythm and our body's time frame as well. Yeah, that's, that's such a good way of looking at it um all right let's jump to another question um is there an alternative to the pill where you could have control over skipping your period oh no (laughs) i didn't think so i was like that's a good question but i don't Um, think so i don't think there's no other way that you could actually choose when to have your period Mm. because i was going to say there is things like the iud where for some women it actually stops their periods, but you can't choose when it happens yeah. with something with IOD or with like the implanon or the rod. Mm-hmm. Um, no, there is no other contraception where you can actually choose when your period comes. Yes. Unless you like stress yourself out to delay ovulation. <laughs> yeah. I don't recommend that though. <laughs> actually, I think I asked you this question when um, at the end of last year, I was going on a holiday to Thailand and I said oh, to yeah. you, is there anything? And you're like, you know what? It might come late because of flying, like the yeah. airplane and the stress on your body. And and it did. I didn't get it the whole week I was in Thailand after my flight. And there were four other girls on that trip who were all due at the same time and all didn't get it. And Isn't then, amazing? yeah, and then it all came on the last day of the trip. Is really? that yes, so oh, wow. wild. I was like, well, Lauren was right. Um, <laughs> okay, another one, a little off topic, but estrogen dominance, what to do? So many things. It depends on. <laughs> so, if, so if anyone that doesn't know, estrogen dominance is a state where we're either producing too much estrogen naturally, or we're not eliminating it effectively, or we're getting a really big exposure of endogenous um, estrogen, which means we're getting too much externally. So, it would really depend in terms of treatment plan what your type is because for someone that is producing too much estrogen they probably have a different um game plan than someone that's just getting too many synthetic estrogens from their environment but i think in all cases we really need to be focusing on estrogen metabolism and making sure that whatever estrogen is in our system is clearing out so for anyone that doesn't know the reason that this can be problematic for some women is because we really need to have a balance between our estrogen and our progesterone levels. And if we have too much estrogen in our system, it can cause symptoms. So it can cause skin changes, it can cause pain, it can cause breast tenderness, it can affect our cycle length, it can cause headaches, it can basically cause any you know PMS symptom you can think of. It can be attributed to higher levels of estrogen, although that's not always the case for everyone, but typically a lot of symptoms can be due to estrogen dominance. So it really depends on what people's cause is. And for some women I've seen being constipated is their cause of estrogen dominance because the way that we clear out metabolized hormones from our system 
one of the ways is through the stool. Whereas if we're constipated, then those hormones that need to be eliminated are sitting in the stool and get reabsorbed through the large intestine and are then recirculating through the bloodstream. And they're not a good type of hormone because they're a hormone that's already been broken down. So they're kind of like a weird form and they can often cause symptoms. So sometimes I've seen a few women that have had like constipation where they're going like once a week, once every two weeks, which is pretty extreme. Ideally, we're going every single day. And that just means they're in this state where they have so much metabolized estrogen floating through their systems. And that will almost always cause a symptom with their period. So regulating bowels is a really good way to actually make sure you're clearing out any excess hormone in your system. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I know that was one of the things for me was a little bit more estrogen dominance. Even when I had my blood done, it came back and was like, estrogen's normal and um, progesterone's normal. But if you looked at the ratio, progesterone was like the very bottom lowest it could possibly be in the recommendation mm-hmm. amount. And the estrogen was at the absolute highest it could have possibly been. So like the ratio was a little bit out. And that stuff that we looked at was like regulating like di- my digestive system and um, even the exposure products, mm-hmm. things like that which is fantastic. So I think that will be helpful for a lot of people, but also knowing, go see Lauren, because it could mm-hmm. exactly as you said, there's so many causes and things like that for everyone that's different. So um, actually while we're on that one, uh, there was a question, is it normal to have occasional really sharp pain in the rectum whilst on your period? Yeah, so this is a, actually a really common one. And I see it a lot with women with endometriosis. So with endometriosis, it's an inflammatory disorder where tissue that's like the lining of the uterus grows externally in the pelvic cavity. So it can be on the bladder, it can be on the bowel, it can be even be on the diaphragm, and it can be around the uterus and the ovaries and the fallopian tubes. But because these lesions grow, they can cause scar tissue and adhesions. And sometimes if some women have endometriosis or they have scar tissue around their bowel then during their period because our uterus swells so much like way more than it usually is then it can be stretching and pulling these like this um the adhesions in the connective tissue and that can cause a lot of pain for some women and it's really common to actually have pain in the rectum and be feeling pain more there even more so than your abdomen, like a normal, like in quotation marks, period pain. Um, But that doesn't 100% mean that it's endo, like, but I would definitely look into it because, again, any type of pain isn't normal, but especially pain that's in the rectum, I would definitely not deem that normal. So I would for sure look into that and explore that further to rule out anything that could be causing that. I'm so glad we covered that question because I feel like that's something that may be way more common than is talked about and something that many women would feel um, a little bit embarrassed to bring up with a GP or something like that. And so Mm -hmm. even having that information is going to give them, hey, okay, this isn't necessarily normal, but other people are experiencing it too and giving them the confidence to go and, you know, seek help about that, which is fantastic. And Mm -hmm. that's why I'm so excited about this podcast interview because I think there's so many things that this podcast will give women permission to talk about, which is so cool. I love that. Um, okay, another one. Um, is it normal for your cycle to change time or symptoms after beginning to have sex? 
Typically, not really. Um, the only thing I would think of is if there is like, like looking outside, because obviously maybe diet isn't changing, like that stuff may not be changing, but maybe like some little stress levels could be changing if it's like a new relationship or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. I'm like navigating that whole time, which, you know, depending on the relationship, it can be like stressful or it could be like late nights. <laughs> if you're going out on dates or something, yeah. like you may not be getting sleep that you're usually getting, which is a really big um, determining factor of our hormones. But typically, no, I don't see a lot of women that have had dramatic changes to their period once they've started having sex. Although saying that, I'm, I'm actually thinking of some women that have had started getting um, pelvic pain when they started having sex for the first time because they may have had something like endo going on um, and that by having sex it's kind of like um, triggered that pain. If there is scar tissue, like it's kind of aggravating that, whereas before they may not have really been brought, that may not have been brought to their attention. So potentially with pain that could be quite um, not common, but it's explainable and I would look into it with pain with sex. But in terms of regularity, I'm not sure if there's like a definitive thing, but maybe lack of sleep. Yeah. So it's not so much like, I guess, to answer that, it's not so much the actual beginning to have sex itself as it is that the maybe lifestyle factors changing when that begins to happen or you're uncovering something else like endo or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say like actually having sex would cause those things just in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This is, I think this is a good one. Is it actually possible for your periods to become in sync with other females you live with, etc.? I love this question. So there is some research on this that's kind of iffy. Like there is some research about having like an alpha womb, <laughs> which I love, <laughs> and like beta wombs, and that the alpha womb can kind of like determine the synchronicity of women around them. Um, but just like an- anecdotally, I've heard from a lot of women that like have sisters or roommates that they often will sync up together. So there's not like heaps of research on it, but I do hear it a lot from women that it does happen. And I think it is actually quite common. And if we think about pheromones, it does make sense because when we're leading into ovulation, we start to, we are secreting pheromones. And although we're not like conscious of it and we're not really conscious of other people's subconsciously, we're picking up on all of these cues. So maybe if one woman was like having difficulties getting to ovulation, if there is another woman that's like around ovulation time, it may help her maybe, but it'll be interesting if you have some people write in and say if they've had that experience. Yeah. If, if this is you, if you live with females and find you sync up, please let me know. Um, I've actually experienced this with clients who train with me more than like quick frequently. So if I have a female who trains with me like three times a week PT, it's, we always end up syncing so bizarre. So yeah. Um, so someone's asked, oh, there's so many and I feel sad we're going to not get to them all, but that's okay. Um, I've been on the road for about two years now and have never gotten my period. Is this unhealthy and should I consider getting it removed? Mm, that's really common with the rod. And it's also really common to have really sporadic bleeding or just even like spotting with the rod. Um, it's tricky with this one because it's not necessarily, I mean, it's an issue from the fact that your body's out of its natural cycle and 
maybe not ovulating um, and making the right amount of hormones, but it's almost a understandable response to the medication. So some women will continue to have regular bleeds with the rod and some women it will just stop and it's not even necessarily anything to do with the woman or what she's doing. It's just how their body is responding to the synthetic hormones. And sometimes it's even how long they've been on it for because some women will have a regular bleed and then eventually it'll become a bit longer and it may turn to spotting and then sometimes it just stops altogether. So it's more so a response to the synthetic hormones rather than your body doing anything wrong. But from a health aspect, it's always more healthy to be ovulating and making the like optimal amounts of hormones every cycle because all of these hormones actually affect every other cell, tissue and organ in our system aside from just our reproductive system. Yes. So I'm seeing so many questions come through about obviously there was like the rod one, a lot of people saying marina, yay or nay, should I have my um, – is the marina having effect on me or things like that? So I'm just going to generalize this and ask you, and this was actually a question I had written down to ask, is what would be your favorite go-to method of contraception, like one or one or two, what would be your picks that you would recommend um, to women? Yeah, not looking to not get pregnant. <laughs> looking to not get pregnant. <laughs> so my number one recommendation would be the fertility awareness method. So if you haven't heard of this method, it is when you actually learn to understand your menstrual cycle in great detail and you learn to understand when when you're fertile and when you're not because there are specific phases in your cycle when we are fertile and when we're not. So we're not like guys that are fertile every single day. We go through these different phases in our menstrual cycle where our fertility ebbs and flows. So if we can actually learn to understand this cycle, we can pinpoint with accuracy when we're in our fertile window and when we're not, and we can use that information however we see fit. So we can use that information and be like, okay, I'm going to change my sexual behavior during my fertile window. And that could be by avoiding sex during this time or just using barrier methods. Or if you're looking to conceive, you can actually maximize that time. So it's really good information to have just through our lives, Um, but it involves tracking your cervical fluid and understanding what that means and then also taking your basal body temperature because we can actually see on a basal body temperature chart the different phases in our cycle because our temperature does fluctuate throughout a menstrual cycle. And by tracking these patterns, we can actually understand when our fertile window has closed and then we can use that to make decisions of when we have sex and things like that. And I advocate for this method because it doesn't change your body. So it doesn't do anything like there's no side effects. It doesn't change the way your natural rhythm works. And you can actually learn a lot about your menstrual cycle by doing this method because you can uncover a lot of different hormonal imbalances by tuning into your specific rhythm. Um, But the only downside is that it's really user dependent. Mm. So you really have to learn. You have to learn the rules and you have to put it into practice. And it it does take commitment. And if you're not there, then it's not going to work. So you have to be willing and committed to actually put it into practice. So the big thing with that is just like user error and user failure. So you need to make sure that you're being taught this method or you're self-teaching really well 
or you're getting guidance from an actual instructor, of which there are many that you can work with online or in person. Um, but if you have all that down pat, so many women use this method and so many women use it to avoid falling pregnant really successfully for decades at a time. And then if they get to the point where they're wanting to fall pregnant, they can use exactly what they've already been doing and just change when they have sex. So they, they have sex during their fertile time to fall pregnant. And then it, you don't have to go through the process of like coming off the pill or something and getting your cycle regulated. Like it's already been there for you and you're just changing your behavior around that. So I really love that method. That's what I use personally. And I encourage women to explore it and to see if it would work for you. And obviously it's not going to work for every single woman, but for a lot of women, it is a really great method for them. Um, and then the other thing that I would mention is like good old barrier methods, because I don't know why they are never talked about because they are also a thing and they're also really effective. And then if you were wanting to look at something more, um, things like the copper IED can be like the lesser of a few evils, like, mm not my preferred method because it can irritate the cervix and the cervix has a lot of nerve endings and the vagus nerve does actually run through the cervix and it can actually cause mood issues for a lot of women because it's changing those nerve responses so that's not optimal and also the copper IUD isn't designed to shut down ovulation it's just designed to cause local inflammation in the lining so that nothing can implant so that's okay, like better because you are potentially still ovulating and making hormones. But for a lot of women, it still does shut down their ovulation, even though that's not what it's designed to do. For a lot of women, their ovulation will still stop. And for some women that already have a lot of inflammation in their system, deliberately adding more isn't great because that'll usually cause heavier and painful periods. So that's really individualized as well. Yeah, yeah. And I obviously... I, you know, I'm using the fertility awareness method as well. And the one thing that I, I learned and I would recommend this to anyone and this goes with my industry with, you know, um, say a girl wants to lose weight or something like that and she goes through all these crazy fad diets and can stuff up so many times and so many times and be in you know, pain for like two years with it before she seeks help. And then it's like kind of getting guidance to do it right the first time. I honestly, hands down, if I could give someone a piece of advice who is looking to come off the pill and either not get pregnant or someone who is looking to get pregnant, please, it is just worth investing in seeing a professional and just getting it right from the first time. There is no point going through months of not being able to fall pregnant because you don't know what you're doing or months of having like painful periods or no periods and having no understanding of why. So exactly as you said, there are so many people that you can work with. Um, and I know for me, I would not have done the fertility and awareness method as effectively as I did had I not been working with you and even having the opportunity to be like, hey, I just had this fluid and I'm so confused. What does this mean? And, and you kind of giving me that guidance. And at the start, it was tricky, but I did the whole temperature. I did the cervical fluid tracking. I did it all. And now I've been doing it for over a year. Um, not that I promote this, but I don't take my temperature anymore. And I'm so in tune to the point I can be like, I ovulated early and I bet you my period will come three days early. And it does um, like knowing when my cycle is going to come or I'm, I'm so in tune and I'm careful. And I, I feel like I have a really good understanding, but it took practice and being very, very rigid for a long time 
to get to that point. Um, and I think working with someone gives you so much more confirmation that what you're seeing and what you think is right. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like a skill, like anything else. It's just like learning a new skill and there is like that learning curve at the start. But then once you actually get it, it's like, oh, it's just like second nature after mm. a while. I think the biggest one, which is another kind of like, I don't know if you would go as far to say taboo, but possibly is um, cervical fluid being called discharge when, yeah. when it's not and the difference between cervical fluid and discharge. Do you maybe want to give a quick a quick wrap up of why it's not the same thing and what cervical fluid versus discharge is? Totally. So discharge is kind of like that umbrella word that's used for like anything that we see coming out of our vagina. <laughs> it's not blood. Yeah. Whereas cervical fluid or cervical mucus is what we actually produce leading into ovulation. And it's stimulated, stimulated by an increase in estrogen, which will rise before we ovulate or when we just have more levels of estrogen in our body. So as we approach ovulation, our estrogen is rising, we're producing little follicles on our ovaries, and we start producing this cervical fluid, and it's more clear typically, it's more, ideally it's stretchy, like raw egg whites, like it'll be more um, slippery and like a high water content, and it's there because it actually helps to keep sperm alive, and it actually really helps with our fertility a lot. And we really need to have really good amounts of fertility, uh, really good amounts of cervical fluid for our fertility. So if we're not seeing any cervical fluid before ovulation, that's actually something to pay attention to and work on. Um, but yeah, so that should actually fluctuate throughout the cycle. So we should see a few days of that before we ovulate. And then once we ovulate, it should dry up because we're not producing the same amounts of estrogen. We should be producing progesterone then or it'll become like a bit more creamy, a bit more tacky, a bit more opaque. So we should actually be seeing this rhythm and this change of qualities in cervical fluid throughout the cycle. Mm, and I, I, that was so glad we touched base on that because I know before I went on the pill, so when I would like years ago when I was way younger and would have cervical fluid, I was almost like embarrassed of like, what is this? Like, you know, having like cervical fluid in your undies or something like that, you're like, if you don't know what it is because we're not educated about it, you feel like, oh, is there something wrong? Like um, versus now it's like, oh, I'm coming so close to being fertile um, and like having that understanding, which is really, really cool. Um, and I know so many girls who go on the pill, it actually either completely disappears or reduces your fluid. So you don't see it as much. And I know I didn't when I was on the pill. And as soon as I came back off, I started seeing it again. Mm-hmm. absolutely my favorite one when I speak to friends about it when they're trying to like create the difference and I always this is the reference I always come back to um of when you're super fertile and you've got that slippery kind of um egg whitey fluid mm-hmm. I'm like you'll just know because it's like when you wipe it's just like slip yeah <laughs> and they're like yes oh my gosh I had no idea why that happened and I'm like there you go um yeah use a condom <laughs> around that time (laughs) you're fertile if you're seeing that fluid yeah yeah which is really cool so um there are so many more questions but um because we're not going to get to all of them what I may ask you is what would be one of your favorite resources or few resources or people or books or whatever you choose that you would recommend to direct people to to learn more about their cycles and their period Totally. I love that you asked this because there's actually three books I would want to mention. Mm -hmm. I would want to mention Period Repair Manual by Dr. Lara Bryden. 
she's a naturopathic doctor and that book is kind of like a crash course in every single period symptom and what it could mean and what to do about it and it's a really good resource to have the other one would be beyond the pill by dr jolene brighton and that's a really good one if you're thinking about coming off the pill or you already have and you're needing some more guidance and support and it could even be off any kind of contraception um, but just kind of how to optimize that whole time and how to increase the likelihood of having really healthy menstrual cycles after the pill and even any other kind of symptom that you may be experiencing and then the other one would be um, the fifth vital sign by lisa hendrickson jacks because she has a podcast called Fertility Friday that's all about the fertility awareness method that is awesome. And she wrote a book that goes into all of this information as well. And that's a really good handbook to have if you're interested in the fertility awareness method and learning more about your cycle. Those are the three. That's like a good trinity yeah. of books that will give you a lot of information. Yeah, and that's so awesome because I feel like there's so much we touch base on today that like I've said a couple of times, so many women wouldn't have known and are like probably mind blown right now. And to put it in perspective, we literally roughly 60 minutes scraped the surface of mm-hmm. information there is to know. So I think it's so good to kind of like expand your knowledge there. Um, and then the last thing I'll ask you is because like, obviously like I'm obsessed with you and your work and everything like that. Let everyone know where they can find you. Cause I know you doing Skype consults at the moment or zoom consults yes. at the moment. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I'm doing all online at the moment yeah. and I'm on new patients currently. So if you're wanting more support, like one-on-one, we can actually work together. Yes, awesome. And Instagram, it's just at Lauren Curtin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah so yeah. my Instagram is just at Lauren Curtin and you can find me at my website as well, which is just laurencurtin.com. Awesome. And I'll put all that in the show notes for everyone. But Thank you so much for spending your time on a Monday talking to us. I think this is just going to be so valuable for so many people. And it's probably one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Jessie. I've loved this conversation. I love talking about periods. Awesome. All right. Have a good day. Bye, Jessie.